Well, welcome home, Sir City. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Um, this is definitely a new element. I'm no stranger to the Sir City stage, but this is brand new for me, and I'm grateful to be here to share what God has laid on my heart with you. Um, I'm also super stoked about sharing, uh, continuing in our series, our Melodies of Heaven series, which is going to be super, it has been super amazing, and there's been such a huge wealth of gifting that's in the house, and we're so grateful for that. Um, I also want to extend my gratitude to Pastor Andrew and Pastor Chantel for trusting me with this opportunity. I'm grateful and I don't take it lightly. I know it's a huge and tremendous responsibility, so I will do my best to make you proud. Uh, so quickly, I just want to jump in. The song as uh, that I selected, as you know, is it is well with my soul. And I really feel like this has been an anthem for me since the beginning of the year. And I want to start by telling you a little bit about the lyricist of this particular hymn. He is not like Fanny Crosby, who has made a lifetime of making poetry and um, uh, songs and hymns. He's not a lyricist at all. Horatio Spafford is actually a senior partner, was a senior partner in a successful law firm, and he was an astute businessman. So he wasn't in any way, shape, or form um, the type of songwriter that would just um, poetically be writing lyrics all over the place. The song is really important simply because he wrote it out of a lived experience. Now Horatio Spafford was married, had five children, and life was going really good. He was a devout Christian. But how many know that sometimes when life is really, really going good, that there's always a monkey wrench in the plan. And tragedy hits him. And the first thing is, his, he loses his only son. And I don't know what it's like to lose a child, but I know people who've lost a ch child before, and it is the type of tragedy that changes your life forever. So while he's grieving, while they are grieving as a family, it's not too many months into the year where there is a great Chicago fire, and it burns down 1,500 buildings, over 100,000 people are homeless, 300 people die. He loses his business, his investments, and his entire life savings. So as he prepares now to rebuild, he spends the next two years doing that, and he says, you know what, I just need a timeout, because sometimes while things are happening, we need a timeout. And so he decides to go on vacation with his family to England. And some last minute business comes up and he sends his family on ahead of him. And while they're on their voyage, another ship strikes their vessel, killing 200 people. And it's the biggest naval cat catastrophe prior to the Titanic. And so what happens is 200 people die, and those 200 people, in those 200 people, his four daughters are among those that die. He gets a telegram from his wife that says, saved alone. So he prepares to meet her in England. And while he's traveling on this ship, the captain mentions to him that this is the area that the last vessel went down in. And it is in this moment that Horatio begins to pen the lyrics. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, 
when storm clouds like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say that it is well, it is well with my soul. And the chorus consists only of the echoing declaration that it is well with my soul in variation. You know, the most amazing part about this story is how composed he is in the midst of his adversity. In the middle of emptiness, he's talking about peace. His money isn't right, but he's talking about peace. He's experiencing unbearable loss and devastation, but his response is not anger, but peace. When he really should be an emotional wreck and unstable, his faith is unwavering and his mind is steadfast. And the word of God that is so deeply hidden down in his heart has not failed him, but it has showed up right in the nick of time to remind him that God has got him covered and it is well with his soul. There is a confidence, a great confidence that this song emphasizes that in the midst of your adversity, it is well. That whatever situations that come our way, God has taught us in his word that it is well. I am covered, he's got my back, he is my advocate, he's going before me, and all things are good. It might not look like that right now, but all is well. So before I get into it, because I feel the preach coming up, <laughs> that's what pastor would say. Um, so let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Anoint my voice as I deliver this word that is already anointed. Open up the eyes and the ears and the hearts of your people so that they can receive the transformative word of God. And let your revelation power summon us to deeper relationship with you. God, let our understanding of this word take deep root in our heart so that we can live and walk in wisdom, grow in wisdom and grow in, in power and in love, Lord God, and walk in the established peace that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to put in the chat, it is well. Come on, somebody. You know, my mother used to sing this song around the house all the time. You know, I grew up in church and many of the other people who are the other uh, ministers who had been talking in this series, we grew up in church and um, hymns were a huge staple. It was a huge part of that upbringing. And there was something about hymns. Pastor Chantel said last week that there is something about hymns. The way they are written, they're so poetic and they jump off the pages with these wonderful, animated, colorful descriptions of the love of God and your experience. And I really begin to feel the experience of the individuals who are writing them. You know, but with this song, I gotta be honest with you, when I was younger, you know, my mom sang it around the house when she was forcing us to do chores. <laughs> and we sang it at a lot of funerals for homegoing services. So to be quite honest, in my younger days, I really thought this song was whack. I thought it was boring and quite honestly macabre. You know, I was disconnected for the song from, from, from the song for many years for two reasons. One, I associated it with funerals and death and chores. And to be quite honest, at that time in my life, 
chores and death were one and the same. <laughs> you know, but all jokes aside, the truth is that I really didn't understand the profoundness of what that song professed and how the musical arrangement worked together to tell the story of calm, rest, reassurance, confidence, and peace. The type of peace that only comes through intentional relationship building with God. This song is about peace. Peace in the middle of your adversity. Peace at the beginning, the middle, and the end of your storm. It is such a reassuring thing to know that stuff is happening. In this pandemic, so much is going on. People are losing their lives, they're losing their jobs, and they're losing their minds. People are losing a grip. But I want to encourage you today that there is peace, that the peace that surpasses all human understanding, God provides that peace. So we're going to dive right into the scripture, and I picked two scriptures today. Um, and for the new Bible readers, people who are new to Bible, um, we're going to be taking our scripture from John, which is in the New Testament, and it is after the book of Luke. John 16, 33, and we're reading, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that you might have peace, and in the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That's good news. Somebody write good news. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as this world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. This is powerful scripture, partly, as Pastor Chantel said last week, that in the New King James Version, whenever you see the red writing, that means it's coming directly from Jesus. And the best part about this is that this is not like the parables or the stories when they are um, telling what he's saying. They're observing him, or it's a, someone else's perspective or interpretation. But these are actually the words of Jesus Christ. And what he's telling us is that the word of God is telling us where you will find peace is in the word. It also tells us that we will encounter trials and tribulations in this life. He's saying that the world is a troublemaker. That's what it specializes in. But be encouraged. I, Jesus, has overcome the world. So we need to go back to the world, the word rather. Many of us are looking for worldly solutions for spiritual problems. But I really want to enforce today that you cannot find peace in the same place that you lost it. So the word of God, when you get grounded in the word of God, it will do three things. It will change your perspective, it'll change your motive, and it will change your narrative. This leads me to my first point. The word of God will teach you to regulate how you operate. And a perfect example of that is when Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness after his 40-day fast, which again, I think is so fitting because we're just getting ready to wrap up our seven-day fast here. 
And you better believe that the enemy is probably tried some of y'all in the beginning of the fast, in the middle of the fast, and he got something planned for you at the end of this one. In Matthew 4, it says when he commands him to turn this stone into bread. Verse 4 says, but he answers and said, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Meaning that we can't only live to feed our flesh, but we must live by every word that comes from the Lord, because the word of God is food for the soul. Hallelujah. The answer to every problem that you're going to have in this world can be found in the word of God. And oftentimes when, we, when things don't go our way and don't go according to plan, our emotions get the better of us. This is what I think is so amazing about this hymn because he really could be throwing himself down and saying, why me, God? You took my son, now you take my girls. What else is left? You took my money, what else is left? And just like little children who throw a temper tantrum when they don't get their way, many believers are like that. We pout, we cry, we murmur and complain when we don't get what we ask from God, when we ask it from God, how we wanted it to get delivered, when we wanted it to be delivered. We let our emotions rule our actions and our behavior, ultimately impacting our thoughts and informing our decisions. And I really wanna um, focus on this a little bit because emotions can be tricky, a tricky thing. You know, it stems from the French word, émouvoir, and it means to stir up or excite, and which also stems from the Latin word, émouvir, which is broken down like this, e meaning to meaning up or away, and mover meaning move. So if we have stirred up feelings and our emotions are given to us by God, so they're to stir us up and they're to move us in a particular direction. Our emotions are, internal, are an internal process to an external variable in the environment, which are connected to our five senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. And these things can either move you closer to God or move you away from God. Emotions moving you away, the stirred up feeling that moves you closer to him or moves you away. And I gotta tell you that in this life, you want to be in control of those emotions so that you can be moved towards the things and the purpose of God. Pastor Andrew explained last summer um, before the trichotomy, spirit, soul, and body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. I just wanna make sure that my pastor knows I'm listening. Somebody say, I'm listening. <laughs> Our thoughts and ideas, character and values, emotions and feelings, choices, decision-making resides in our souls. And the Bible is clear about how you should govern yourself as it pertains to emotions and identifies what emotions will bring you closer to him and his design for your life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, 
but of power and of love and a sound mind. Pastor Andrew also says, also known as self-control. Somebody say self-control. And God has created you to have dominion in every area of your life. This type of power is found in the word of God. And when we begin to get plugged into the word of God and study it and meditate on it, it will transform us. And the real battle is in your mind. The world specializes in conforming our thoughts by heavily influencing what we watch, what we listen to, what we eat, and what we participate in. And we have a responsibility as Christians to be intentional on what we feed our souls. Romans 12 and 2 says, Be ye not conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we focus on learning the ways of God through his word, it reforms our thinking, which impacts our attitude, which influences our behavior, then informs our choices. This brings me to point number two. A godly mindset teaches us how to navigate in an ungodly world. The enemy is after your mind. He wants you to focus on the negative so he can influence how you feel about a particular turn of events so that he can get you to react in the particular situation. And I'm really reminded of this in the story uh, in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 4, and I don't really have time to go into it very deeply, but the story is that the disciples are on a ship, and the ship, um, they, they bump into a storm, buck up into a storm. And the truth is that they do buck into this storm, and the water begins to come into the boat, and Jesus is asleep in the belly of the boat on a cushion. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but if I'm rolling with the guy that has healed people from leprosy, that has raised people from the dead, I ain't worried about no water coming in my boat. My mom used to sing a song, when Christ is in the vessel, I can smile at the storm. But these disciples, they are so caught up in their emotions. They begin to go down there and they get all rustled up and their feathers get all ruffled up and they say, don't you even care that we're going to die? They're frantic. And he doesn't actually respond to them. He goes out to the storm. He wakes up, goes out to the bow of the boat, and he speaks to the wind. He, the Bible says that he rebukes the wind. He reprimands the wind. And he speaks to the sea and says, peace, be still. And the disciples marvel at each other and say, and actually the scripture says, and then there was a great calm. And the disciples begin to talk to each other and say, fam, did you see that, bro? My man just came out here and talked to the sea. And what manner of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? And oftentimes when we think about peace, we think of it as a submissive personality trait. But it is a gift from God. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is evidence that God is active, the Word of God is active in your life. Which brings me to point number three. There is power in peace. Horatio displays his faith in God, and it is fortified when he boldly declares that it is well with my soul. He was completely resolved in the understanding that God is in control of every situation. 
And it means that you can have peace that goes far beyond human comprehension. I have peace when I should have lost my mind. I have peace when I lost my family. I have peace when my ends aren't right. I have peace even though I've lost my friends. But because I know I have Jesus and he's got me, I am resolved in my position and resolute in my decision that it is well with my soul. I really believe that it is time for us to receive the gift of peace. Possess it. Walk in it so that it can be your portion. We can have peace in the midst of adversity, in the midst of the storm. There is a reward for those who faithfully are praying and seeking and learning of him. God has not left you to walk this thing out by yourself. He is working on your behalf. He is getting ready to turn things around for you. And because he's the God of the turnaround, you can have peace. Because he's working it out, because he's given you the spoiler alert, I leave with you peace. And the funny thing about this is that in the book of John, he's been speaking to them in parables all this time. But he gets to the place where he realizes that, that these guys, they need more. They don't quite understand everything, and I'm getting ready to leave. So I need to leave them something that they can chew on, that they can sink their teeth into. And I'm leaving you peace. I'm going somewhere, but what I'm going to leave with you is so valuable. It's, it cannot be bought. Millionaires jump off of the buildings that they own because they don't have peace. Money can't buy you peace. So today, I really want to reassure you that God has given you peace. Things might seem uncertain in this pandemic. The devil wants to distract you with the details of the storm, but God wants you to take hold of his word today. And this word will give you confidence and build you up and fortify your faith in him. Peace isn't something that you need to work for. There's nothing that you can do to earn the peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Since as one, members of one body, we are called to peace and be thankful. God wants you to receive his peace, with the, which is the confidence in knowing that even when things don't go as planned and they don't go your way, that his ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And the final scripture I really want to leave you with is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will do what? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So I admonish you today. Let go of worry, let go of anxiety, let go of stress, let go of fear, and trade it all for the powerful gift of peace that only Jesus Christ can provide. The peace that he paid for with his life. Let today be the last day that your anxiety and worry and distress get you down. Be free from those things because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You can have freedom and have peace and be delivered from all of your distresses. God is able to turn your situation around. He sent his only son to die so that your life 
could be filled with peace. So let go of your worry. Let go of your anxiety. Let go of your stress and of your fear. Trade it all for the powerful gift of peace that only Jesus Christ provides. The peace that he paid for with his life so that your life would be fear-free, not fearful. Let today be the last day that your anxiety and your distress and your worry overwhelm you. Be led to the rock of your salvation. He has got you covered. He will not leave you stranded, but he will rescue you at the appointed time. He has sent his son, God has sent his son to die so that your life could be filled with abundant peace. Receive that peace today. I pray that this message was good food for your soul. God bless you.